Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Back from a weekend away, big weekend for Mississippi State. I hope that you guys were able to uh, to enjoy the weekend. A lot of things to feel good about if you're a Mississippi State fan, for sure, after <laughs> this weekend. Uh, you know, not not totally unexpected that State got some W's, but um, this time of year, you absolutely cannot drop a game you're expected to win. Mississippi State didn't, and uh, in both games, Mississippi State had to come from behind in kind of dramatic fashion and, and win pretty much emphatically. You know, it's like State was down, you battle back, and it's one of the things I think you learn is you can't sleep on Mississippi State the second half. It doesn't matter if it's the men or the women. Ben Howen, Vic Schaefer, going to make good halftime adjustments, going to come out with some renewed vigor in that second half. And if you are unprepared, they will run you out of the gym, much as was the case this weekend. 
We're going to break some of that down, and we're going to begin to look at SEC West baseball. Love this time of year. Those of you that know me well understand that uh, when college baseball season gets here, there's a new spring in my step. I love going out there to Noble Field. I love being able to go on the road and watch the team play. There's just not much better in my mind than college baseball. So good thing for me that we're good at college baseball. Unlike some other schools in this state that are not very good at sports, Mississippi State pretty good in all of them. Hope that you're having an opportunity to enjoy as much of that as you can. Thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the Boneyard, allowing us to bring you the latest, greatest, and coolest information about the premier athletics program in the state of Mississippi, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Bulldog Burger Company, conveniently located right here on University in Stargill and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Two locations to serve you for you to go find your own favorites. If you're looking for a great restaurant-quality hamburger, then look no further than Bulldog Burger Company. Go by, just order the Bulldog. Go in there. Maybe maybe that's a good first idea for you. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's your introduction into the Bulldog Burger family. Just go have the Bulldog. Kind of go in there. Just settle in. Have a great straightforward burger. And then maybe on trip number two, you do something a little different. And I know that menu can be a little bit overwhelming. You think, man, there's so many options to choose from. So many great hamburgers here. How do I choose, Steve? Well, I think you try them all. I think you find what works for you. You try them all. And you got to have the spring rolls. Absolutely have the spring rolls. They will make you and everybody around you better looking, and we all need more of that. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville and now Tupelo where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get started with the uh, the men's side of things. Mississippi State had Vanderbilt in. A much tougher game, I think, than maybe some had anticipated. I tried to kind of prepare you guys the last three ball games. Vanderbilt had played pretty well. They played Kentucky very, very strong in Rupp Arena. And Jerry Stackhouse did it in post game. There will come a day we're going to come in here and get these folks. They nearly took down Florida, which that's not, you know, maybe what we thought it was a few weeks ago. They did take down LSU. And so they come to Humphrey Coliseum. You know, with some confidence, thinking, you know what? Yes, we're going on the road, and yes, we have struggled to play well on the road, but we have an opportunity to go in there and perhaps steal a victory. And for a while there, it looked like Vanderbilt might do just that. 35-31 at the break. State makes some adjustments. There is a net change in Mississippi State scoring of plus 18 in the second half. Vanderbilt, 35 points in both halves. Mississippi State turns on the juice late. Wins 10, 80, 70. Let's run it down here for you real good. And listen, for the first time in a long time, Vanderbilt looked to be a team that could score from multiple spots on the floor. I had not watched them a whole lot. You knew what to expect a little bit with, uh, with Saban Lee. Did a good job, 20 points. But they have guys up and down the roster that can create shots. I was impressed. Not good from three-point land. Six of 24. Didn't make their free throws for the most part. But Mississippi State again wins on the boards. Mississippi State wins on the scoreboard. Uh, Reggie Perry, and it, it, if I sound like a broken record, you might as well get used to it. Reggie Perry, again, another big game, 25 points, 11 rebounds. 
in 37 minutes of action. Got into a little bit of foul trouble. Also handed out six assists and had four blocks. That's filling up a stat sheet. Had a couple turnovers too, but that's part of the game with Reggie. But I'll tell you, we are beginning to see Reggie Perry really exert himself as this league's most dominant player. If I had to call it today, I, don't, I think Reggie Perry is the SEC player of the year. And when people first begin to kind of have that discussion in the preseason, saying, hey, Reggie Perry has a chance to win the SEC player of the year, some people kind of, I don't know if they snickered, but it certainly raised an eyebrow or two. People were thinking, well, you know, I don't know. Reggie is uh, answering his critics, is showing up in big ball games, and down the stretch when State needed some plays, he, he's made them. It, it has become a routine to expect 20-plus points and double-digit rebounds to Reggie Perry. That's what you're expecting every time out now. Nick Weatherspoon, again, begins to, uh, to really kind of exert himself. 21 points, 8 of 9 from the, from the floor, 5 of 7 from, from the free throw line, pulls down 6 rebounds, just the one foul, did have some his turnover to assist ratio not very good three assists four turnovers also had a block. DJ Stewart seven points for him. Tyson Carter again coming in off the bench perhaps the best six man in the SEC. Sixteen points, also a pair of steals and it just seemed like Mississippi State when State wanted to out athlete Vanderbilt they were able to do it. And that's one of the things that continues to happen. At some point, the athleticism takes over. As long as you are in the flow of the game, you're following the game plan, playing good defense, at some point, talent matters. And that's kind of what happened here. And all due respect to Vanderbilt and Jerry Stackhouse, again, I, I believe Jerry has got this program turning in the right direction in Nashville, but they are not as talented as Mississippi State. And that's what happened. The better team won out. State 28 of 53 from the floor, 5 of 14 from the three-point line, and 19 of 25 from the charity stripe. 37 rebounds. And for the most part, for the most part, uh, you know, defended without fouling. You know, there were some silly fouls, and there were some times things got a little ticky-tack, and it is, there is an epidemic with college basketball officiating. Now, I read an interesting uh, post on social media where somebody suggested that the reason there's been so many foul calls as of late was to increase the revenue for the uh, TV deal because they wanted the games to, to, to run longer. Uh, I, I don't know that I buy any, any of that, but um, there, is con there is some consistency with the complaints around the league. It is not a situation where I believe the officials are biased. I think, and that's one of the things that uh, Dave Murray always says, never attribute to malice what you can attribute to, in to incompetence. There is an officiating problem within our league on the men's and the women's side. And, and people say, well, you know, the SEC doesn't have dedicated officials. No, they don't. But they use an assigner that is primarily a regional assigner. And so basically you get the same officials kind of running through here regularly. There has got to be greater accountability. The, uh, the, the out-of-bounds call on Tyson Carter late in the ball game. Now, granted, State was able to kind of overcome that bad call, but Vanderbilt's trying to make a late run there. Tyson Carter is inbounds. There was really no other vantage point to look at and say, well, you know, maybe he was really close. No, it wasn't close. The heel of his foot was elevated throughout the time. He never set foot on the line, but that was the call. 
And I tweeted this out because I, I was almost just incredulous about the whole thing. How can we trust a guy, or gal for that matter, or a progressive show, how can we trust an official to make judgment calls about fouls and over the back and that sort of stuff and walling up when they cannot get an out-of-bounds call correct? And I think the guy was like 15 feet. 15 feet. Now, granted, the I was watching the game on television. I wasn't humped. The initial shots, you couldn't tell. I mean, I thought the shot, you know, was obstructed by fans. But... The official's view wasn't obstructed. Our view was, but his wasn't. He had the best view of anybody in the arena, and he blows the call. And listen, I understand that people make mistakes. I make mistakes. There are sometimes the people point out, hey, Steve, you made a mistake. And then initially I'm like, no, I didn't. And then after some reflection, you look at it and say, hey, you know, maybe I did. And I'm a firm believer in that people would learn a lot more of my of their mistakes, a lot more because of their mistakes, if they're willing to admit they made them. But that's the issue that I have with the SEC here, is that we just want to act like everything is cool. It's just like that SEC officiating Twitter account that was uh, that at, at this point has still not acknowledged that the SEC officials have ever made a mistake, ever. It is a propaganda piece. That's what it's there for. That is the mandate, clearly, from the league is we're going to go out here and, and propagate and explain our side of things when there is a controversial call. There's never been anything on there and say, hey, well, this official blew the call. We apologize. The league will do better. Or uh, we're going to suspend this crew or whatever. Or this guy's not going to get an assignment. That's what we want, right? We want transparency. We want to know when officials make egregious errors that there is some level of accountability. And there hasn't been. And you know, Robbie Falk tweeted out a couple of days ago, and I, and this is something that I agree with. And it's not just, uh, it's not a novel concept that Robbie brought up, but it's a good reminder. We expect teenagers, we expect teenagers, many of them, him who have never done made an adult decision in their lives outside of their college decision, we expect them to go stand in front of the media, and sit at a dais, go to a podium, and explain why they turned the basketball over late in a ball game. And we expect them to have grace. They can't get in there and be critical of officials. And we expect them to have all these protocols around them. We expect them to go face the music. But we can't even get an explanation from our league on why things are called a certain way and what accountability there is when things go awry. There is a problem within that system. It's one of the things I said years and years ago. I called in the Southern Sports tonight one time, and somebody said, well, of course, we were complaining about officiating back then. I think one of the ways that you fix it is you make the officials accountable. I think the officials should have somebody, whether it be the, the, the crew chief or the white hat or the, 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 the lead referee in basketball, somebody goes and explains why certain things were called the way they were in the postgame. Now, I'm not saying there's – and listen, there's a lot of people in the media that have no idea what, what, would, what they would ask. I'm, I'm not suggesting that um, – that aspect of it, that you're going to have, uh, you know, some Pulitzer Prize winning performance. But my point being is that there needs to be some level of accountability because the SEC and really college basketball as a whole is not holding its officials accountable. And if there is, there is no visible accountability. I, I think if Pat Adams had to walk in there and sit before us and say, hey, Pat, listen, you called this foul here and uh, the replay showed that there was no contact. 
because that happened recently in Humphrey Coliseum. You called a phantom foul. What did you see there? What's wrong with that? Pat Adams is a grown man. He's also a very you know incompetent official. But don't you think that that would clean some things up? Maybe maybe I'm being Pollyannish about the whole thing. But I think if I if, if I had to go before the media and understand that my words would be in the newspaper the next day, and then you know they do that that closed captioning thing, like people will take a a video highlight and you know they'll, they'll put somebody's voiceover on it or whatever. You know that that that's what would happen. That that would be the meme of the day because they would go through and, and have Pat Adams or whoever, and I'm, I'm picking on Pat, but uh, there are many officials, especially on the women's side, that are absolutely egregious in their in their conduct uh, and in their calls, and that would be superimposed over the play they blew. I'd like to see it. I, I, think, I, I believe in personal accountability. I think that would change some things. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I believe. Mississippi State has now won six of eight uh, in the SEC, Men's standings, Mississippi State currently tied, currently tied for second, second in the SEC. Two games out of first place, six and four. Not a stellar record, but just two games out of first. Auburn, Kentucky, LSU all tied at eight and two in the regular season standings. Mississippi State, Florida, South Carolina right there at six and four. And we'll have an opportunity to take on South Carolina here in the next uh, few weeks. Looking forward to that. Men's basketball, again, we expected them to be very talented. We expected them uh, to do good things. They're, they're getting there. They really are. Now it's about taking care of business. We have discussed many times on this show about this defining five-game stretch. We're four games in. Game number five will come at Oxford. That's always an important game. It's always an important game means a lot more this year because State's got a lot more to play for. Ole Miss, uh, I believe, tied now for 12th in the SEC. As I've told you guys many times, Ole Miss not good at sports. However, they have played much better. They've won two games in a row. So we're kind of getting them when they're beginning to play their best basketball. They're going to be at home, and, and it's going to be an electric environment, and uh, that's going to be a game that they're going to bring a lot of heat for. Mississippi State has to find a way to win their basketball game. Simple as that. That game, uh, I guess it's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. And uh, that'll be a... F Let me look here. Let me double check this. I want to make sure that I'm right here. That is a 6 p.m. tip. And that'll be on ESPNU. 6 p.m. tip from Oxford. A win in that game. We don't want to assume anything. But a win in that game makes Mississippi State 16-8 and eight and 7-4. and Got to find a way. Get over 20, get over 500. Got the games to do it. That Arkansas game a month ago loomed a lot larger. Arkansas is still a very talented team. I don't know that Mississippi State is a great matchup for them because they don't really have a, a dominant post presence. I don't know if they can keep State off the boards. But that's a big ball game. And then you get to the, you know that final stretch. Again, home against South Carolina at A&M. Home against Bama at Missouri, at South Carolina, and the home against Ole Miss. State will have a chance to win every one of those basketball games, though I believe that two-game set with South Carolina could very well be a split. Very well could be. But we're right where we want to be. On the women's side of things, 
let me rephrase that. We're not right where we want to be. We wanted to be much farther along. But based on the bad start that we had, we have come back and, and done as well as I think to be expected. On the women's side of things, the women now scare everybody to death. Go down in that ball game against A&M. And, you know, we, listen, we knew A&M was going to come in here. Gary Blair and Big Shaper, longtime friends, longtime foils of each other. And Vic's had the better of it the last few years. But A&M came to Humphrey Coliseum and didn't show Mississippi State any respect. They came in here, and you, we talked last week about how that second quarter has kind of been the defining quarter for Vic Schaefer and Mississippi State. That wasn't the case on Sunday. A&M ruled that quarter. State a 12-11 lead after one, and then A&M outscored State nearly doubled up State in that second period, 26-14. to 26-14. to 14. And, and there were, listen, I saw the social media stuff. People were like, you know what, we're fixing to blow this one. A&M not even playing with Kennedy Carter. If Kennedy Carter had been playing, who knows what that score would have been. But it was a huge, huge, huge stretch. State comes out with some uh, renewed vigor in that second half. Outscores uh, A&M 17-12. But the defining quarter, that fourth quarter, this is what great teams do. And it's one of those things, too, when you're the most more talented team, when you are better than your opponent, you know what? Sometimes we'll let you get out and, and stretch your legs a little bit. Sometimes we might even let you lead a lap. But we are crossing the finish line alone because we are the more talented team. And that's what happens with great teams is when the game is on the line, great teams can turn it on. State outscores A&M 26-8. to in that fourth and defining quarter. State wins the game in the fourth quarter. Nearly lost it in the second. Won it in the fourth. Let's run down some numbers here for you. Jessica Carter, good minutes again. Did foul out of the ball game. And, and that's something that we have got to address with her. And you, know, and you know Vic and Johnny Harris have done it until they're blue in the face. But we've got to keep her out of early foul trouble. We're going to need her late in ball games. We didn't need her yesterday. There are going to be other games we need her. It seems like every there's every game, there's a couple fouls on her within the first five minutes of the game. But Jessica Carter, six of nine from the floor, three or four from the line, pulls down seven rebounds, 15 points. 15 points. Can you imagine if she was able to play uh, the full game or close to it? Rakia Jackson played nearly 38 minutes of action, nine of 22 from the floor, missed her only three, three or six from the line, 10 rebounds, it's amazing how that has changed. Vic made that a point of emphasis in the post-game press conference with Rakia sitting to his right. and said, you know what, I need her to go rebound. I need her to help. Since that time, she has turned up her rebounding effort, and it shows. Ten rebounds, leads the team last on, on Sunday. 21 points, ten rebounds, two turnovers, and a steal. It's um, We're beginning to see Rakia Jackson perform as the five-star we had hoped she would be. Uh, Chloe Bibby, just under 12 minutes of action. 0 of 3 from the field, didn't score, had the one rebound. I don't know what's going on with her. I really don't. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, you know, and Vic manages all that pretty well. You know, Chloe has been pretty inconsistent. That was the thing we, we talked about the splash sisters, her and Andy Espinosa. We really expected both of them to add a real deep threat. Chloe has done it at times. Andy has kind of been uh, incognito. 
Maya Taylor, one of her better games in the uniform, seven of nine from the floor, two of two from the line, pulls down a couple rebounds, only commits a couple fouls, 16 points, six assists, zero turnovers, and three steals. And much of that came when the game was on the line late. Jordan Danbury, not a big game for her, just three points. And those are the things you begin to look at. What happens with average teams when you have a couple of starters combined to score three points? Jordan Danbury, Chloe would be combined to score three points. And Mississippi State won the game by a dozen. The mark of a great team is being able to win when you're not at full strength, when you're not playing your best. State did not play their best. Perhaps played one of their best quarters of the year in the fourth, but certainly not one of their game, best games. And that's the thing to me that is so intriguing about this team is what's going to happen when they're clicking on all cylinders, when you're beginning to have your stars step up and play well consistently. You know, the old adage is you want to be playing your best basketball at the end of the year. Well, we're not there yet. We're not playing our best basketball, but yet we're still winning. Those are the things that kind of fire you up a little bit. You begin to think, okay, what this is what could happen. And, you know, we've got, I, I believe, one of, if not the best coaching staffs in all college basketball, women's college basketball. You could argue that, you know, certainly South Carolina and, uh, and UConn, but State's right there. Baylor, Kim Mulkey staff right there. But I don't know that anybody's quite as young as Mississippi State this year. And people say, well, you know, Steve, South Carolina's got that great young class. They do. They also have a senior point guard in Ty Harris, who I'm not a big fan of. And they have a senior stretch four in Herbert Harrigan. Uh, we don't have that. But yet here we are, a game out of first place in the SEC. South Carolina will play tonight against UConn. They're currently 10-0 and in the league. State's 10-1. and you're beginning to kind of see this thing shape up here, right? It is Mississippi State and South Carolina down the stretch. Tennessee seven and three, LSU six and three, Arkansas, Kentucky right there at seven and four, A and M six and four. Everybody else in the league with a losing record in conference: Alabama, Georgia four and seven, Vanderbilt, Florida, Mizzou at three and seven, Scott Strickland. What are you doing? Auburn two and eight. And Ole Miss uh, had an opportunity over the weekend to get out off the schneid. 0 and 10. 0 and 10. And again, I say Ole Miss not good at sports. 7 and 16 overall. Missouri is the only SEC team with the worst overall record, and they're 6 and 17. They beat Georgia recently. They did, but that's where we are right now. That that's where we are. That's how things stand. And so when you begin to look at the schedule, you begin to ask yourself, okay, what's left for the women? Well, not much. <clears throat> the last really difficult game, and anytime you got to go on the road, those are difficult games. And there's no nights off in this conference. But the last game you look at and say, you know what, this, this is a game that State has a realistic chance of losing, <clears throat> is this game coming up a week from yesterday against Kentucky. We mentioned on the show that there was a defining stretch here that would probably impact Mississippi State's SEC seeding and their NCAA tournament seeding. State's two-thirds of the way through that with a win over Tennessee in Knoxville and now a dramatic come-from-behind win over A&M. got to go to Kentucky. Vic will make good use of this time. This week off, having the midweek game off, 
He'll make use of that time. So you go to Kentucky, and then you go to Auburn that Thursday. We come back. We have Alabama here, Arkansas here, then we go to Ole Miss. You know, Auburn gave State a lot of trouble when they came to uh, the Humphrey Coliseum. You better believe Big Schaefer will have the attention of his players when we make that trip to Auburn, because that's what Auburn does. Auburn, in some ways, is kind of a bad matchup for us, especially with us having some inexperienced guards. Is because of the fact they want to turn you over. They don't want to run a half-court set. They're, they really struggle in a half-court. they got to get out and run. They're going to kind of pressure you and try to create turnovers and uh, run on made baskets. But um, when you look at the schedule and you think, okay, if we can get back Kentucky, and that hadn't always been so easy. It's very, it's a well-coached team. You get through Kentucky. There's four games left. Two of them come at home. One of them is against the worst team in the SEC, historically. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, recently, that's a once-proud program at Ole Miss. But you begin to think you should win those last four games. And so State has a real chance to win out in the SEC. That hadn't always been the case. So you got a chance to go 15-1, and 27-3. Considering the youth on this team, it's a remarkable, remarkable accomplishment. Let's not get our eggs, you count our eggs before we hatch. I want to remind you, too, with a new sponsor of the show, Hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Absolutely love the products. I've been so incredibly impressed. Ladies, you run out of time for Valentine's. You still have some time, though. Gentlemen, go take the quiz, or ladies, help them take the quiz. Go to their website, Hawthorne.co, and you can take the quiz. And you, It's based on your own preferences, and they will send you the fragrances that best match your preferences. It's not just about cologne, though. You can get a lot of men's personal care products. You can get body wash. You can get shampoo and conditioner. You can get deodorant. You can get lotion. You're going to need all the stuff. You want to smell nice, right? We'll give you a little incentive to give them an opportunity to serve you. That's Hawthorne.co with a W, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Use promo code Boneyard, and that'll save you 10%. You can set up the replenishing shipments, or you can just try it one time only. But I'm telling you, once you try that cologne, they've got the work scent and the play scent. The play scent, yeah, a little more exotic. But you'll get them both, and you're going to love them both. You're going to smell nicer than you've ever smelled. Again, that's Hawthorne.co, promo code Boneyard. So let's look into uh, some baseball stuff here. And uh, this is going to be a little bit of an elongated show. I know you guys like that. Mississippi State kind of kick off a baseball campaign on this weekend. It's Valentine's Day weekend. What better way to spend it in Duty Noble Field with those you love? Because we know that you love all of us and we love all of you. So we have talked extensively about what Mississippi State fans should expect from this team. Let's look at the SEC Western Division. Recently, you know, they had the little get the little powwow. Uh, they talk about, okay, well, here's uh, here's what we think. Let me remind you that last year Mississippi State was predicted to finish sixth in the SEC West. Sixth, coming off a trip to Omaha where you returned just about the entire roster. Mississippi State was picked sixth. Okay, so let's take all of this with a little bit of a grain of salt. Arkansas picked to win the West. Mississippi State picked second. 
Auburn and LSU tied at third, 67 votes, points between the two of them. A&M fifth, Ole Miss sixth, uh, Alabama seventh. Uh, a lot of people are probably surprised that Ole Miss has picked six, considering that they're, they're extensive preseason marketing campaign. But uh, they lose a lot. But again, remember, State was picked six last year and made it to Omaha. Proved to be one of the better teams in school history. Uh, let's see here. Got a lot of you. Arkansas's got some talent. Arkansas and Mississippi State, very, very similar. Very, very similar, except I believe Mississippi State has better pitching. I really believe State has better pitching. But offensively, Arkansas and Mississippi State are going to put up some big runs this year. Go ahead and get ready for that. Auburn's a much different team. That's where all the pitching is. Um, Casey Opitz at Arkansas is your first-team catcher. Cade Beloso at first base from LSU. That's an SEC West Scott. Justin Foscue at second from State. Uh, Casey Martin, your shortstop. I, I'm a Casey Martin fan. He had off-season surgery, but he'll be good to go. Daniel Cabrera at LSU, probably a um, early trendy pick for SEC Player of the Year. That's not going to be quite as much around him, but this is a guy that's going to match there at Alex Box. Uh, Heston Kerstad from Arkansas in the outfield. He is a guy that's like he's been around forever and a day, but this is a guy that can swing the bat. Uh, Matt Goodhart killed Mississippi State up there last year. He's a DH and utility guy at Arkansas. And then uh, the, probably the best pitcher in the league right now on paper, Asa Lacey, A&M. Huge, huge fan of Asa Lacey. A true bona fide Friday night guy. Really, really like him a lot. Second team from the SEC West, uh, Josh Hatcher and Rankin Woley from Auburn. Josh Hatcher, of course, from Mississippi State guy. Really kind of getting that off uh, the fall buzz. Josh Hatcher, a great fall. Really think he's about to make a jump. Rankin Woley at Auburn. This is a guy that if you leave a ball in, it's going in the right field bleachers. Tyler Keenan at third base. I think he is your only Ole Miss guy on the preseason list, and he is. A lot of people, uh, you know, last year, scared to pitch to that guy. He's, not, he's a great mistake hitter. Jordan Westberg is your shortstop. Tyler Gentry, your long representation of Alabama. Uh, in the outfield, Rowdy Jordan also in the outfield. Zach Deloach from A&M also in the outfield, and you know, man, we'll see. Not not a huge fan of his. Uh, Tanner Allen gets the DH utility spot there as the second team guy, and then uh, Cody Greenhill of Auburn and Tanner Burns also second team designations. I really like that Auburn staff. They're going to have to score some runs. That was kind of their undoing last year. Is that you know they their pitching kept them in some games when healthy, but if they ever got into a game that uh, required them to score some runs, they 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 struggled. You know when we had them here, I think we all felt pretty good about life, and then we saw they were a different team. We saw them in Omaha. Auburn is kind of a dark horse in this SEC West thing. They're a team. Their pitching is going to keep them in a ton of games, and they're going to beat some people because Butch Thompson knows how to game plan against you. But uh, very, very talented team. So let's start with Arkansas. A lot of people are expecting them uh, to be back in Omaha. I will be honest with you. I don't see it. I think they're going to be a team that um, scores a lot of runs. They're probably a host team, and then we'll see from there. But I don't know that they have the pitching to get to Omaha. Connor Nolan is back on that staff. 
uh, you know, he, he's back. But when I, when I run through these, you know, these players, and there may have been some guys, I haven't done a ton of research on fall baseball and even early spring baseball uh, for some of these guys, some of these teams, because there may be some guys that may be a little bit limited early. I don't know. But we mentioned Connor Nolan as a guy. There was some discussion, would he stick with baseball? Would he give football a bigger try? Really not sure what he's going to do long term. Uh, Matt Cronin was a guy that was dominant last year and uh, had the event sevenfold walkout music. Uh, I believe it was Shepherd of Fire, but he's gone. Patrick Wicklander is a guy that had some big innings for them last year. Um, Jacob Kostyshock was a guy last year they expected big things from. He was kind of up and down, but uh, pitching wise, they're going to lose some guys that were predominant players for them, mainly Isaiah Campbell who could throw five pitches consistently for strikes. I'm not the least bit surprised he went as early as he did. But primarily, this Arkansas team is about offense. They returned a lot of players last year that were very, very important, um, you know, throughout the year. They're going to be able to swing the bat. The main thing with them is, what do they do against great pitching? They're going to be great offensively, but what are they going to do against these Friday night guys? And so I think because of the fact that, that Arkansas is going to have to depend on some Sunday wins, they're going to have to kind of turn Sunday games into a church league softball game. If you go out there and throw strikes, I think you can outpitch Arkansas. you got to beat them on Friday night, though. you got to beat them on Friday night. Simple as that. And, again, I'm a big Casey Martin fan. I think he's a guy that really swung it well against Mississippi State, as did Matt Goodhart. But as we've seen, the home team in this Mississippi State-Arkansas baseball rivalry that's kind of butted up here in the last few years has swept the series. That series is in Starkville this year. Got to find a way to go win that. But Arkansas loses a lot. They really do. Mississippi State loses a lot too, but I believe State offensively is the better team. Let's take a look at Auburn here. I mentioned they are a team that's got a ton of pitching back. They lose Will Holland, and I, I wasn't a huge fan of Will Holland. He is a really good athlete, and I really think that he was drafted a little bit higher than he should have, but that's what happens when you got to get guys to come out. There are a lot of people that had him as a preseason All-American last year. I, I just I don't see it. I, I really don't, and I think he really struggles to hit the breaking ball. Auburn was picked fourth in the West last year, tied for third this year. But when you begin to look at this pitching staff, these are the things that kind of shake you up a little bit because you realize this is kind of the year that Butch has been building towards. And, they, and they've got to do it this year. Okay, they're recruiting at a higher level than when he got there. But Butch has kind of, this is his fourth, fifth year, I guess, but Butch has kind of built this thing up, and now he has the pitchers to really make this thing interesting. Peyton Glavin, a junior. Tanner Burns, a junior. Jack Owen, a junior. You know, he has three potential pro guys right there available. Uh, so they're going to be able to pitch it. And they've got some guys. They've put a ton of guys last year in the bullpen. You know, Cody Greenhill's a guy that's outstanding. Uh, you know, again, a preseason all-SEC guy. Butch is going to carve people up this year. They are going to have some days where they struggle to score runs, but they are going to be in ball games because of the fact that they've got a lot of guys out there that can uh, that can keep you down. I like this Auburn team. They went to Omaha last year, as you guys know. Mississippi State beat them in, in that dramatic win. 
but they were ahead of schedule. Nobody expected Auburn to be there last year. People were thinking this would be the year. And so now that they've had a taste of it, you better believe they're going to want to get back. They're going to want to get back. And again, they lose a few pieces on the infield, but they weren't a great offensive team last year. Not a great team, but they're going to have some guys that can swing the bats. Like this Auburn team. We have to go over there. That's the thing that, that bothers you. If we had them here, I might feel a little differently. We find a way to go over and steal that series. You know, you get you know, JT Ginn going, get Christian McLeod going, get a chance to win a tight ball game on Friday and Saturday, and then we'll see what happens on Sunday. So every year there's always this talk. I say every year. That's not fair. But probably every other year there is a discussion that LSU is going to drop off. Let me go ahead and share this with you. LSU is not going to drop off. LSU recruits at such a high level, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. But that said, LSU loses a lot. They really do. There, there are a lot of players on that team a year ago because last year was kind of the year. A lot of people are thinking, okay, well, let's uh, maybe, just maybe, we can put together a really great year and make a run at Omaha and they come up a little bit short. You know, Daniel Cabrera and Zach Hess were preseason All-Americans last year. Zach Hess really struggled in the Friday night role. They moved him back, and LSU was picked to win the West last year. I don't know. If, if many people probably have forgotten this. Uh, Mississippi State and Arkansas won the West last year. Co-winners, State 20-10 and 10 in the SEC, tied with Arkansas. So, for whatever that's worth. You know, winning the West, I don't know what all that means, but. But LSU recruits at such a high level. I mean, they're 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 kind of put a quality team on the field. I won't. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see LSU win the SEC West because that's the level in which they recruit. But they did lose some guys last year that they're going to be important. But uh, Eric Walker returns. Eric Walker down the stretch was as good as any pitcher in the SEC. Uh, Cole Henry, it's another guy that you know, obviously a lot going on with him. You you expect big things from him. But they're going to lose some guys. I mean, Todd Peterson moves on. Zach Hess moves on. Uh, Saul Garza was a guy that had a big uh, SEC tournament game against Mississippi State. But they'll have some guys. Uh, you know, Brant Broussard has moved on. Chris Reed has moved on. Chris Reed, uh, big left-handed stick for them, always seemed to have great games against Mississippi State. Antoine DePlantis is gone. Zach Watson is gone. So they're going to have to retool most of that outfield. But Giovanni Diacomo, I'm sure, will be one of those guys. But they have some pieces that return. Not quite as pitching heavy as they have been. They, they did lose a lot of guys last year off that pitching staff. But they have you know, a couple of frontline weekend starters. So and, and with the talent that they'll have around them, they'll have an opportunity to win some ball games. Not to mention, not everybody gets to play in that softball field they call a baseball stadium there at uh, at Alex Box, so they'll they'll have a lot of runs, they'll score, especially at home, but uh, it's a different deal on the road, to say the least. Texas A&M, one of the uh, most anemic offensive teams in the SEC last year, they were picked fifth last year, and somebody even gave them a first place vote. Uh, they finished fourth in the league with a 16-13 and one record. Good frontline pitching last year and had one of the best players in the league in Brayton Shoemake, who is now gone. 
if I'm not mistaken, he was a first round pick by the Braves. I mean, this is a guy. He he was he nearly beat State last year single handedly. Uh, really, really swung the bat well. Glad to see him gone, to say the least. This is another team too that uh, loses some guys but brings some guys back. That you know that uh, John Doxakis has moved on. Christian Rowe is a guy last year that was kind of up and down for them as a Sunday starter. But Asa Lacey is as good as anybody in this league and perhaps the country on Friday night. Great one front-line starter, and then the rest of it is kind of mix and match. They were a young pitching staff last year. They were, they were pretty, you know, we knew what to expect on Fridays, but uh, they were a young team kind of building towards this year. Should pretty much bring everybody back. But the problem with that is, is that uh, they struggle to score runs. Yeah, you'd like to think a year more experience and have an opportunity to be a better team. Uh, so, you know, they'll be in the mix. They'll be a typical Texas A&M team. It's very, very difficult to beat, tough to beat at home especially. But they're not the veteran team that we saw a couple years ago that uh, kind of set the SEC on fire. But they've got some pieces. They, they have some pieces. They just, you know, again, this is going to be a team, if you get them on Friday night, you got a great chance to win the series because I don't think offensively that they can win a shootout with you. But there'll be a team that'll be uh, they'll be up and down a little bit. But uh, again, a team I'm glad we get here at Duty Noble Field. Ole Miss, that's uh, you know you never know what to expect. And, and I, one thing that I'll share with you, and maybe I'm speaking on a turn here a little bit. I don't understand not rolling Mike Bianco over. I think that's a little bit precocious. Uh, and you know, Ole Miss certainly knows being precocious. But uh, you know, Mike Bianco. I believe this is his 20th season at Ole Miss, and he's had opportunities to leave. He's had opportunities to interview for other positions, been very loyal. And they were a win away from going to Omaha last year, and then they don't roll him over. And it, a lot of it appeared to be just out of some social media angst. And Mississippi State is to blame for some of this because of the fact, the fact that in their glory days, Mississippi State has gone to Omaha many times. A handful of times, and they've gone one time since 1972, one time. And so there are a lot of Ole Miss fans look at this and say, hey, you know, we've got the guy, and look, Mississippi State went to Omaha with John Cohen. Uh, they went to Omaha with Gary Henderson. They went with Chris Labonis. It's kind of plug and play over there at Mississippi State, and uh, we can't seem to get over the hump here at Ole Miss. Well, um, that's something, I guess, to kind of prepare for moving forward as well. Ole Miss last year was picked second in the West, and many of us kind of laughed. It's like, yeah, come on, you know, that, that's not going to work out. And, you know, it didn't work out. And then they uh, they lose several players off that team, and I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this roster now. But, you know, Ryan Olenek was a guy that uh, basically decided that he was done playing baseball. And, and obviously, you, you feel like if – if he had been drafted high enough and the money had been there, maybe he would have reconsidered. But, uh, you know, he has moved on. Uh, Thomas Dillard, he has moved on. Uh, the, you know, I think Tyler Keenan is really the only guy back you look at and say, this this is a you know, bona fide SEC guy you really got to kind of work around. Uh, Cooper Johnson's gone. Uh, Greg Kessinger has gone. Great player there at Ole Miss. I mean, Greg, I mean, Greg Kessinger is one of those guys, too, that uh, – 
you didn't want to have the game come down to him because more times than not, he was going to put the ball in play. But they lose a ton offensively. And then they'll come back this year. And uh, I guess, uh, what's the kid's name? Let me look here. Servideo. Anthony Servideo is going to make the move from the outfield to the infield. And I believe he's going to be the shortstop. I, I haven't looked at their uh, recent reports, but he was a guy lad. That was kind of the talk is that, that he was so electric as a base runner, they had to find a way to get him in the lineup last year, so they put him in the outfield. And so he'll make that return to kind of his more natural position on the infield. Uh, and they've got a young Gunnar Hogland's the guy, a young guy they expected big things from. Uh, Doug McCasey down the stretch was as good as anybody in the SEC. And I know recently they, they had the DUI thing. And what's interesting about that, too, I, wanna, I don't know a lot about his situation, but I want to share something, too. Not to make excuses for anybody, but if you're under the age of 21, and you're driving, and you have had anything to drink, and you register anything on the meter, it's going to be a DUI, whether you're legally drunk or not. That's the law in the state of Mississippi, and it should be, because we don't need underage kids drinking and driving. So whether you could have had one beer, and if you blow anything, you're going to get charged with DUI. And so, and a lot of people out there, because it's an old Miss guy, they think, oh, well, you know, let's go ahead and put him in prison. You know, it's, you know, it's not the case. Doug McCasey, very talented guy, clearly made a mistake. Uh, and I've read some of the... Uh, Mike Bianco comments that they're going to punish him severely, but he is going to start uh, this weekend when they play uh, Louisville. So it is what it is. But this is an Ole Miss team, but it's not not very deep. Uh, Parker Caracy is gone, and it seemed like Parker Caracy had been there forever and a day. But this is a team that's in transition, and I think one of the reasons, the only reason Ole Miss wasn't picked last is because of Doug Casey. I think Doug Nikhazy is good enough to keep them in some ball games, but it is going to be a very challenging year in Oxford. It should be. Alabama, again, picked last in the SEC. They were picked last in the SEC last year. They're picked last in the SEC this year. I believe they got a few more votes this year. Last year, they got, no, no, how's this for consistency? Alabama, 21. 21 points last year, 21 points this year. It's going to be a difficult year. I mean, and, and that's the thing, too, is like last year, they had a ton of seniors on that team. You know, and a senior in college baseball is kind of a rarity because, you know, the better players get drafted. You know, we had Jake Mangum come back and Anton DePlantis came back. And so you were glad to see those guys come back and really chase a championship, even though it didn't you know, work out. But Alabama had Joe Burrow back last year, former Mississippi State football commitment, Keith Holcomb, Sam Fennerty, Garrett Rooks. They, I mean, pardon me, Garrett Rooks was a junior. But they had, they had a ton of players back. They're really excited about Tyler Raz. You know, he's a guy that was a freshman last year. They think that he has a chance to be a really good player and will likely be, uh, you know, weekend starter for them this year. But outside of that, there's not a lot that you look at and say, this team really fires me up. I think this is a team that could really challenge for the postseason because you just simply don't, don't see it. And it's incredible to me that Alabama has struggled for as long as they have putting together a talented uh, you know, program. Tyler Gentry – uh, is the guy at Alabama. He is the star at Alabama. But there's not a lot around him to protect him. You know, Brad Bohannon, you know, working through some things there. But Alabama, again, not expected to be very good. So when you begin to break this thing down and you look at the SEC West, that's the, let, and let's get the schedule out and just be certain about kind of who we're playing and where we're playing them. Obviously, there is a lot of baseball to be played 
before we open SEC play. But the Bulldogs will open at home in the SEC against Arkansas. Right out of the gate, you got a chance to come out and make a statement early. You got a chance to jump ahead in the SEC and get one of your more difficult series out of the way. All these games are going to be on TV, every single one of them, but you need to be here. We're going to play Friday at 6.30, 1 o'clock on Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday. You need to be here. Dirty Noble Field should be rocking that weekend. Because that series is in Starkville, I expect State to win. The next weekend we go down and play at LSU. We're going to have to have a great pitching weekend because of the fact, you know, playing in that smaller ballpark, especially, you know, as it favors Daniel Cabrera and those guys, you know, we're going to have to find a way to pitch the lefties. If we can go down there and win that series, it'd be great. We have historically not done that in Baton Rouge. I'm not going to project that. If we go down and get a game, that's probably the best we can hope for. Then we go to Auburn. Pardon me. We go to Kentucky. Then later in the year, we go to Auburn the next weekend after Kentucky. We Kentucky here in Starkville, and then we'll go to Auburn. I think we can match up with them pitching-wise, and I think that we are a better offensive team. I expect State to go over there and steal that series. If we can win on Friday night, we can win the whole thing. Super Bowl our weekends, the following weekend, we have Ole Miss coming here. We need to, we need to find a way to sweep the series. And State has, you know, four, we're 14-2 and two the last four years against Ole Miss, but Jake Mangum's not around this year. Maybe we have Jake throw out the opening pitch, but um, that's a series we expect to win. We go to South Carolina, come back here and play A&M. Again, that's a series we should win. I think offensively they're going to be challenged. Then we go to Alabama the next weekend. Again, a series on the road we should win. Come here to play Mizzou, go to Vanderbilt to close the season. So when you look at these SEC series, you know, the one that worries you the most is OSU because of the history, because they always seem to kind of elevate to play Mississippi State. And then the second one for me is going to play Arkansas. Many of these series you're going to get at your place. I don't know that it really matters where you play Alabama because I think Alabama, you know, of course, anybody in the SEC is capable of beating the other. But that is a series on the road we've got to go get. And so many of these, these SEC Western Division teams are going to come to Mississippi State. Auburn's going to be so challenged offensively, we should be able to go there and steal that series. If we can find a way to win that one at OSU, I think that really puts State in a good position uh, in the SEC race. I want to remind you, our good friends at Campus Bookmark, Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely talented Susie, they will treat you like family because you are family. It's as simple as that. If you can't make it to town, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Everything you need from your for your office, your, your car, your home, your, your pets, your family. And mom, let me speak on behalf of the rest of the family. Everybody wants new maroon and white threads for spring. Everybody wants those NCAA tournament shirts. They want those Diamond Dog shirts. They want the Super Bowl Dark Weekend shirts. You can find all of that right there at Campus Bookmark in time. Go by and see them, ask for a picture, hug their necks. They'll treat you great because they'll love you just like I love you. Love the folks at Campus Bookmark. If you haven't been there, you should go. But again, promo code BSR for all you online shoppers, BSR at campusbookmark.net. So before we get out of here, a couple things we need to share. 
All right, Mississippi State football recruiting. It's going to be a little different this year, and I like the way we're doing it. You know, we have had the traditional, uh, you know, big junior day events where you bring in like three or 400 kids, and uh, about 350 of them are not bona fide prospects. You know what I mean? It's like you bring a bunch of kids in, and, and they, they take the tour, and they're herded around like cattle, and you have the big event, and none of the coaches can really spend a lot of time with them. And there are a lot of guys here, and it's just kind of, you know, whoever wants to come, comes. And so you've had other junior day events where they've been a little smaller, you know, where you bring guys in, and everybody can spend time with them, and you can sit down with them, maybe a half dozen kids, and say, listen, we want you at Mississippi State. You're a priority uh, to us. Here's how we're going to do things. That happened here a couple weekends ago. You brought in a handful of guys, and uh, you got Brandon Buckhalter to commit. You got Greg to commit. You already got a couple 2021 guys to go along with what you already had. And so I don't know that State's going to have a traditional junior day. I think with the spring game and Super Bulldog weekend, that may be more of a traditional type junior day where you bring in, you know, a few hundred kids. Let them come in, tour the facility, see the game, all that sort of stuff. I think you're going to see a much more measured and targeted approach when it comes to junior recruiting. And, you know, now that we've flipped the calendar, now that we're done with the 2020 recruiting cycle, except for a couple of grad transfers that we'll probably pick up post-spring, you know, the 2021 class is on the clock. And what better way to make those kids feel special? I mean, it's like one of those things, if you bring everybody in, and there's, you know, 300 kids here, and you don't know a lot of these guys, you haven't met them. And let's say a guy comes in, it's a priority to you, and he feels like he's kind of herded around like cattle. And then he goes somewhere else, and all of a sudden, you know, they know him, and there's a relationship, and it's more difficult for you to kind of overcome that initial impression, especially as a new staff. And so I don't know that we will have those big cattle call junior days. And I really think those are kind of becoming a thing of the past. Now, I'm a firm believer is that any time that you can get guys on campus, it's a positive thing. But you've got to be able to accommodate that crowd and be able to, to spend some time building relationships with your priority targets. And so while it's always great, it's always part of recruiting, and there's always some guys that show up that perhaps maybe you're somewhat unfamiliar with, I kind of like the fact that we're going to be a little more focused when it comes to recruiting. One of the things that so many people have shared with me about Mike Leach is that once he finds his guys, he goes and gets his guys. Those are the guys he focuses on. And uh, speaking with Brandon Huffman, the uh, national manager for 247 Sports, Brandon kind of runs the West, West Coast, lives up there in the Bay Area. You know, Brandon says, you know, that you know Washington State really struggled to recruit against Washington because of the natural recruiting footprint. Everybody wanted to go to Seattle. I get it. That's one of the things that makes this uh, KJ Costello thing quite so important. Because you beat Washington again. You know, it's, and I, I mentioned to Brandon when all this was shaking loose, he goes, man, if he loses another kid to Washington, I don't know what to say. But he didn't. He got over the hump. He had the benefit of having SEC facilities and a chance to play against SEC competition to showcase your talents to present to KJ Costello. So that's big. But uh, again, there will be some changes in how we do things recruiting-wise. 
And I think that's, I think it's good, but I also think the benefit of bringing, you know, Brad Peterson and Rod Gibson and, and Mike Villagrana and all those guys back, Mason Smith, having those guys back, guys that have built relationships and done due diligence. You know, they know these head football coaches. They have done the social media search. They know who, you know, who some of these kids are. They know how to identify these players, have evaluated them. They've collected information, done a lot of good things to kind of prepare the recruiting process for 2021. And then you bring in Brittany Thackeray and Dave Embrick and, and others, all these people now involved. And there's this, this kind of this, you know, melting pot of ideas because you got Mike Leach's people in because he has a relationship with them and they know how he wants things done. And then you've got the resources that have already been put together by the Mississippi State recruiting team. Uh, and, and really, Mike Leach has never had that. He's never had the benefit of having that big team because State obviously has a much bigger budget than Washington State did. But I'm, I'm excited to see what this yields because there's been so much discussion about in-state recruiting, and Mississippi State did a good job in-state recruiting last year. This year's class, and there's always great players in the state of Mississippi. Some years, there's more than others. We're still kind of getting a grip on how good this 2021 class can be. We know from a wide receiver standpoint, it's going to be very, very talented. Probably the year of the wide receiver in the state of Mississippi. And when you look at this air raid offense coming in, you certainly hope that Mississippi State can get it the lion's share uh, of the receivers here in the Magnolia State. Uh, going to be a lot to go along with that. And listen, you guys too, we, we had a chance last week to sit down and interview assistant coaches. We're going to be uh, posting many of those interviews this week over on jeanspage.com. You can go and find that. Most of that will be free. There will be some things that are VIP. Uh, some of the one-on-one -on -one interviews, I had a very insightful interview with Tony Hughes, just he and I together. That'll be a VIP piece, but I also sat and visited with Mason Miller, Mississippi State's new offensive line coach, and that'll be free, and it needs to be free because some things that I think you guys need to know philosophically about how we're going to do things a little bit different offensive-wise Offensive line-wise, with Mason Miller as our coach, and also too, just about you know the the, the early impressions, and I had a chance to visit with all the coaches. You know, Coach Phelps is a guy that already understands the tradition and the expectations of defensive line play at Mississippi State. And he also understands that many of these young defensive linemen in high school these days have grown up watching Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones and Josh Boyd and people of that nature. In some respects, Tommy Kelly. You know, they are well aware that Mississippi State is a place that produces quality defensive linemen. So I think Phelps, in many respects, can kind of get a running start into things. Darcel McBath shared with me that uh, he's very excited about his new guys. Thinks he has some guys that are really talented. Thinks he has some guys that are going to be up there and going to make plays. And, and McBath, much like Terrell Buckley and his predecessor, Deshae Townsend, is a guy that spent time in the National Football League. So he knows a great college corner when he sees one. So I'm excited for you guys to read all of this. I'm excited for you guys to kind of get to know the staff. We're excited to bring it to you. Encourage you to go find it today over on jeanspage.com. If you hadn't done so, go to starkvillainstobook.com. Buy the book. Buy the books. Working on book three right now. But go buy, buy the books, and you can find your Stark Villains gear at starkvillains.com. Multiple sizes, styles, colors. You can find it all there. Rep the brand. Looking forward to seeing so many of those Stark Villain shirts out at Duty Noble Field. I've met so many of you over the course of the last few months. Uh, we've had a great run on the Mississippi Bestsellers list. I think for, for over three months, Stark Villains was on uh, the Bestsellers list. 
We're still out signing books. I will be in Houston, Mississippi Tuesday at the Trendy House from 4 to 6. And some other events coming up, and we'll announce those right here for you. Uh, probably going to do a Facebook Live tonight. We'll figure that out as the day goes on. Uh, excited to see what the week should bring. The, you know, we're in a very important time right now when it comes to men's and women's basketball. And then we open up this weekend against Wright State. I am so ready to be back out there at Duty Noble. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to pick up my credential today. I absolutely cannot wait to see you guys again. I'm going to do. I'm going to spend a little more time in the lounge this year than I have in years past. But uh, looking forward to kind of reuniting with all you guys as family uh, over the course of the next few months. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.